Tyson, let's talk. Alrighty, welcome to the second episode of the Brick and Tie Power Hour. Today we have our first guest, Garrett Stoffer. He's a six-year senior with Portland State Football from beautiful Damascus, Oregon. So Garrett, we just want to welcome you to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me on, Brady. I appreciate it. Hey, what about you? <laughs> oh, and Tyson. Sorry, my man. Um, so as a six-year senior, you've obviously been here longer than most athletes have had the chance to participate in college sports. Um, you're from the Portland area. You've been here, you know, for a while now. <clears throat> so what is what is Portland State and the city of Portland come to mean to you after being here for that amount of time? Oh, that's a lot. I mean, being here for six years, I have a different perspective compared to a lot of people. You know, I've been through two injury seasons here at Portland State. Uh, my first year experience here at Portland State, uh, Coach Burton was the head coach and only two student athletes on the football team have had Burton as a head coach. Me and Samis Kofe were the only two class of 2014 kids on the team right now. So having a whole different head coaching experience uh, gives me a different perspective on different styles of coaching compared to what most people have. And then just Portland State in general, I mean, I've gotten my uh, bachelor's of science in mechanical engineering here. I'm working on my master's in engineering technical management. It's given me an opportunity to pursue the degrees and things I want to do in life. So just Portland State means the world to me, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I know being that it's a city college, it's a pretty unique experience. Um, and one that I know took me a while to get used to from being from a small town. And I know you're from a, you're from a desert town too, Tyson. Yeah. Um, so just like, was that adjustment period getting used to going from a small town to being in a massive city pretty difficult for you? Or do you think you'd handle it pretty well? Yeah, so my situation here is a little different. So I'm from Damascus, Oregon, which is about 30 minutes out from here on the east side. And so I'm able to go home whenever I want, but I never do go home because I'm so busy with athletics and school and whatnot. But getting used to the big city was quite a bit of an adjustment for me. Uh, just being from a small town, not living downtown, you know, anything like that. But I wouldn't trade it, honestly. I mean, it's a different experience to say the least. Most college kids go to some small college town where only college athletes or college kids in general are uh, there. While for us, you know, you have such a diverse uh, school population. I mean, for me in the engineering program, at least it's definitely different compared to most kids because the average age of my class is about 32 to 35 years old. And so I'm just a young kid, yeah. you know, 18 to 22 when I was doing my uh, mechanical engineering degree. Jeez. And I'm having to do group projects with people who are out in the workforce and have been in the workforce for 10 plus years. Mm -hmm. So that's one unique perspective I have compared to a lot of people is just the average age of my class is so broad. Like my two best friends in the engineering program are 37 and 55 years old. Wow. I mean, I don't know how many people 
have college friends that are <laughs> yeah. that age to yeah. say the least. Tell us, man. Tell us what you want to do with your degree. Like, what do you want to do later on in life with it? Yeah, so for me, uh, I still really don't know what I want to do with my degree. My, I just like building things in general, and that's kind of why I went into engineering in the first place. I actually, my dad is a high school teacher and a high school football coach, and I wanted to do that originally but decided against it. Just uh, teaching in general isn't the best profession to go into nowadays. And they just kind of said, if you want to do it, great. We know we love and support you, but we want to be truthful with you with how the profession is. So I have always been good at math, always been good at school. And did so- you build a lot of Legos when you were younger? Oh yeah, for sure. I had all the sets, uh, did all that. But in high school, I was really into our shop classes. I've uh, built bowls, I've built a bunch of tables, butcher blocks, cutting boards, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I built about five different pieces of furniture currently in my house in Damascus right now. So that kind of got me intrigued into the engineering and design aspect of things. So uh, shop classes, AutoCAD, really interested in that. And that sparked me to go into engineering here. And engineering has been tough here to say oh, the least. I, I mean, bet. most kids don't tend to choose the degree path that I've chosen as well as being a student athlete. So must it's hard. Yeah, I mean, my first year here in Portland, you know, living in the dorms, you know, most people, their first term or two is kind of easy. You know, you take your BS uh, Frank classes and all that sort of stuff and you're just kind of getting acclimated to college. I mean, for me, right out of the gates, I was doing programming, coding, building uh, water pumps, and doing a bunch of stuff along those lines within the engineering program. And so a lot of nights I would spend in my room doing homework, you know, most weeks, I usually put anywhere from like 20 to 25 hours of homework in. And I know that's a lot more compared to a lot of people yeah that's just what they need to do to yeah. be successful exactly. so so when you first kind of came to this realization that you wanted to go into engineering um i think a lot of people when they see this like dream career path in front of them they kind of have this vision of what they're going to do with it so for you have you kind of had like that that vision or like when you think about being an engineer like what do you see yourself doing like what is like your dream project as an engineer to like complete yeah, so uh, in my master's right now, I'm doing uh, engineering technical management, and right now I'm doing a project management class. And from this class, I've realized that that's what I want to do with my life for the most part. That's my dream job, is being a project manager and then going into new product development also. I want to create products, services, things that solve uh, uh, problems, I just want to solve problems for the most part. Yeah. You know, just making these complex things to solve unique situations and problems. Yeah, I feel you on that. Um, so, kind of going back to, you were talking a little earlier uh, about your first year experience. So I know that's a while ago for you. <laughs> yeah. But if you were to go back and talk to young Garrett Stoffer before he came into this university, what are the things that you would tell him to prepare himself for when he got here? So for me, I would just tell a young, very young Garrett Stoffer, just stay the course. Um, you, 
it's you have your days as student athletes to say the least where the world is just crashing down on you you have life things happening to you you have uh, school and athletics and you know you have a bad day at practice you have a coach that may not like you and who's just really giving you a hard time with all these things and you may not like your situation with where you're at on the depth chart or man Fabian is just killing us in weights today and I'm so sore man all this running is just getting me tired and so for me it was it would just be you know you're gonna have those tough days you're gonna have those amazing days just stay the course and it's all gonna be worth it in the end yeah um, so I know with me and Tyson we spent that first year together um, kind of developing along the same path since we have the same position kind of did everything together so I know you had a little bit more attention around you when you were coming out of high school Tyson so what would you say was difficult about like the transition of like being the guy from your high school to showing up to college and not being like anything the number one guy or really yeah. anything anymore I mean I think it's it's definitely crazy going from you know going to high school and dominating everybody that you played and you know just picking kids up slamming them on the ground and you know killing people then you come out here and it's just you're a pup and there's just dogs everywhere and you know everybody is playing at this really really high level and everybody on this team was the best player for their high school and that's what I had to get used to and I had to get back to the fact of basically you know I gotta build myself up again like just like when I came into high school and I was like hey like I want to be the best that I can be so I gotta do what I gotta do to be where I need to be um so for for both you guys and myself I just uh, thinking about you know what are the what are the biggest mistakes or misconceptions you had coming in like what do you what do you think when you when you were thinking you're coming to Portland State what do you think you told yourself that was a complete lie that you wish you could go back and say don't think that you know like here's what it's gonna be like and here's where you were wrong uh, for me I would just say like people having your back I guess I mean the coaching world of college football you know you have these guys that recruit you and they go oh yeah you're you're my guy you're gonna be my guy in the future and then they leave you know I've had four or five offensive line coaches here at Portland State and so mm -hmm. it's just I got recruited by Brad Davis thought oh yeah he's an awesome coach I can't wait to get coached by him and then he left and I mean you guys know it's it's their livelihood. They're going to do the yeah. best thing for them, and yeah. I completely get it. It just puts us as student-athletes in a tough position because we're locked into our university for the most part. You know, you can always transfer, but no one really wants to give up their redshirt year or give up a year in general yeah. while coaches can bounce whenever they want. So I would say that's one of the biggest misconceptions for me is just like trusting coaches, I guess, all the time. And just, you gotta pick a university for the university itself and not for the coaches. You, you don't wanna follow a coach at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, a great yeah. point to make. It uh, is. Uh, I think for myself, personally, the, the misconception I had um, was the social aspect of it more than anything. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. Because in high school, like, I didn't go to a huge high school, so I knew a lot of the people in my class, and I talked mm -hmm. with a lot of people, and I feel like I was, I was 
pretty good friends with like a good amount of people. And then you get to college and especially as a student athlete, because your time is so limited, it's not like you have time to branch out and meet and make like a hundred new friends or whatever. You're really kind of confined to the people you spend hours and hours a day with. And so it's a very isolating experience coming to college, especially for your first couple months when you're getting used to it. And not necessarily everyone is ready to be on board and be your friend because mm-hmm. while everyone's on a team, it's so competitive. People aren't sure, you know, where you're going to lie in yet. You haven't really come out of your your shell, um, and so it's kind of difficult to socialize with other people. So I think when you get here, it's just it's a very isolating experience, probably for the first couple of weeks. But everyone's going through it, but no one wants to talk about it because it's a sign of weakness, and everyone wants to appear strong in this situation where you're all competing in a way. So I think if I could go back and just like, let myself know that that experience wasn't gonna be permanent, it could have saved me a lot of stress and and headaches um, when I first arrived here. Yeah, I mean, I would say that coming into Portland State, I I didn't think that I would be as close to everybody on the football team than I was in high school. Cause you know, I thought, People in high school were like, you know, ride or die. You know, the people that I played with for football, I'm like, you know, I'm going to know you guys for life. And, like, I wasn't even thinking that coming into Portland State. And it's crazy because we build such strong relationships between each other. I mean, look at me and you. I mean, we, you know, haven't been away from each other for a good amount of time. We're always, you know, doing something together. If it's, you know, coming back to an apartment, seeing each other or, you know, sometimes we'll have a class in the same building or like we're going to meetings together. We're going to, you know, weights in the morning. We're practicing. It's like, I see you guys 24 seven. So it's like coming, coming out of high school, I didn't think that I would be as close to everybody on this team that I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a good distinction to make because in high school, you're going, you're going to classes together. You're playing same sport, you're going to practice. But then at the end of the day, yeah, you go You go home home and you go see your family. Yeah, you don't, yeah. And that's a big thing too, you know. Whereas here, like, whoever you're with, that is your family. You don't get to go home every night and go see whoever you want to see, especially for out-of-state guys like you. Yeah, Yeah, just to piggyback off of Tyson is, you know, the saying, you meet your best friends in college, it's... It couldn't be any more true. Yeah, I mean, no, I 100% agree. I mean, same way with Brady. You know, I thought I was pretty good friends with just about everyone in high school. But now that I'm six years into college and looking back on everything, I really only talked to maybe 10 people from high school that I yeah. like truly keep tabs on and like actually care about what they're doing with their lives. Yeah. While compared here at Portland State and just creating all these relationships. I mean, that's the one thing about athletics too is it truly deepens your bonds between uh, your friendships because you're competing on the f- same field together. You're going through weights. You're going through this unreal life experience together that not very many people truly get to do in their lives. I mean, how many people go on to college athletics? It's what, maybe 5% of all high school athletes somewhere yeah. there. It's, so just having this experience in college brings us all closer together and all of my best friends are from my experience here at Portland State. Yeah, for sure. Um, So we've kind of touched on how we've all kind of come from smaller hometowns. 
Uh, and so I kind of want to explore more into your hometown story, Garrett. Um, so I know me and Tyson both know this. You were you were homecoming king. You were the you were the big talk of the small town. <laughs> your yeah, sister city is boring, Oregon. Um, we've been to your house. It's in the middle of these beautiful forested hills. You and your brother shoot rabbits for fun. Like, tell me, oh, what no, is it okay, like? Come on, we don't shoot rabbits for fun. We shoot them for uh, necessity. Yeah, because we have a garden and they just destroy our garden. <laughs> but is it a little them. fun? I mean, yeah. I mean, of course. <laughs> so I mean, I'm, I'm a I'm a hillbilly. Like, what, what do you mean? Of course, shooting animals are fun. So, so what does that identity mean to you? Like, being a kid from the from the outdoors, from Oregon, probably one of the most recognizably forested states. Like, what does that outdoors identity mean to you? I mean, for me, I just I think it gives you. I mean, you're just your self identity. Yet you, you have to work for just about everything you do. I mean, for me, I've. You know, my parents are amazing and supported me in everything I do, but I still, you know, have to work and just to be that next level kind of person. You know, I'm not given any of these amazing things that, you know, some rich kids have out in Westland or Oregon City or Jesuit, you know, all those kind of schools. So just that work ethic, you know, I don't know how many kids uh, picked berries in the summer or had to do manual labor their yeah. entire lives. I growing up i mean we have about an acre and a third so it's not a ton of land but it's enough to where we had plenty of yard work to do all the time so my brother and i we would always help my dad out with yard work you know picking berries in the summer you know uh, trimming all the arbovitas uh picking we had a giant walnut tree so we had to pick up all the walnuts and throw it in the burn pile we had burn days just mowing the lawn you know doing <laughs> all that kind of manual labor just gives you a chip on your shoulder you know shows you how to work yeah um so a question for everybody here i just um uh, a lot of times especially recently my mom teaches third grade so i kind of get this look into what kids are doing nowadays mm -hmm. and i noticed that for the most part kids are becoming less and less connected with outside oh yeah um Oh yeah. As like, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Like, what do you think is Dude. that's doing to our society? Oh, it's, it's, take the four, Tyson. Oh my gosh, it's it's bro, it's plummeting. Yeah, it's terrible. Just, I remember being a kid, and I mean, what what system was that? I mean, I had the GameCube, the PlayStation One, all that stuff, but I really wasn't on it as much as like I see my brothers or I see like other kids on it. Like it was mostly play outside. It was come home. And usually all your friends and you would get out around the same time of school. You guys come home and everybody throws their backpacks inside, comes outside to so put their play shoes and, you know, we play street football or we play some basketball or we do something, you know. We don't. Now I see what kids is they come home, backpacks are put down and straight up to the stairs, play some games, play Fortnite for hours and don't even go outside. Yeah. And that's, that's just insane to me because I know. Once I have kids sometime in my life, then I'm gonna be like, hey, go outside and play. Go dig in some dirt. Go, yeah. you know, go get dirty. Be a kid, you know? Yeah. Because that's where you get most of your memories from, mm -hmm. you know? And it's sad because you're not gonna get most of your memories from games. Yeah. I mean, you'll remember playing the games, but it's not like you're gonna, oh, you remember that one memory when we were a kid? And, yeah. You know, like hit you and you broke your ankle or, you know? <laughs> like, like, yeah. You know, Riding your bike and you scrape your knee or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you don't have those stories to tell. Yeah. And, I mean, what are you going to tell when you're older, you know? Oh, man. 
look at this, I messed up my pinky playing this video game back in 2019, <laughs> like, no, I don't want to, like, no, I want to I have an experience like, yeah, you see this scar right here? I got pushed down in the street, like, <laughs> I think, you know? I think playing outside also forces kids to, one, be social on a face-to-face -face basis, and to two, be creative. Agreed. Um, yeah, agreed. And I think there's a definite lack of face-to-face -face connection nowadays, especially with the advent of social media and all that. Because we kind of have the unique position where we grew up into social media. Mm -hmm. Like, as we were growing up, it too was developing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we weren't, we weren't like thrust into this world where it was already in existence. Like, we kind of had the like the unique position to be gradually introduced to it as we grew up. Mm -hmm. And I think with today, like with completely online gaming, the ability to talk with anyone in the world um, without a moment delay, the ability to see what everyone's doing all the time. Um, you know, it just, it's cutting off, it's cutting off society as like a social function and making it so much more of an isolated individualistic experience. Oh, definitely. And on that same note, if you think about it, when you go outside, yeah, you might go out there with a football or a basketball, but to a certain degree, you're still using creativity in developing like what you want to do with that. You're not limited to just play by the exact rules of a game. Like I, I don't think there was ever a time where you you're running complete, you know, NBA official rules yeah. when playing basketball. Oh no way! No, never. no way! No way! That's. Oh, that's where you started the fights. That's where you got real friendships <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah, see, my outdoor experience, um, you know, growing up in Damascus, we'd just ride our bikes up and down our hill the entire time because we're on a uh, closed road. And, you know, we have an anchor in our third, so we would just run around in our backyard, you know, do whatever. But my uh, cousins, they, for 20 years, lived at uh, the Young Life campus mm -hmm. in Ant or by Antelope, Oregon. Uh, wild horse has gone through a bunch of names, but they have 66,000 acres on that property and so I would go there, you know, for a week or two in the summer uh, Growing up and that's all we did is we would get up at, you know, seven in the morning eat breakfast We'd be out hiking through the hills in <laughs> central Oregon. Yeah, you know, just playing games, you know creating fake games just to keep ourselves entertained mm -hmm. you know walking up around the hills for hours every day come back home eat lunch really quick at someone's house and then go back outside you know catching blue belly lizards and you know just doing a bunch of outdoor fun hiking stuff yeah no, that's what i would say too like you would you would by going outside you would make connections with your friends family also because mm -hmm. You know, you go outside and play with them most of the time. And they're like, hey, like, we're having a barbecue. You should come over and, you know, or, you know, my next door neighbor, that's like my second mom. Like she, whenever I needed something, it was like there, you know, she'd be cooking dinner. Hey, did you eat tonight? All right, you didn't? Well, come over here and eat, you know. And I feel like that's where you got most of your, you know, your close best friends also mm -hmm. too, you know, is playing outside. I think... As society moves forward and we do have the ability to stay inside more and have that comfortable lifestyle, it's going to be important for us, especially as we come into the age of becoming fathers and stuff like that, to make sure we push our kids to not just have the experience that's available to them, but to literally have to work to have fun in a way that challenges them so that way they develop more as individuals.
this. Yeah, I just don't want this world to turn into Wally. Yeah. <laughs> For yeah, sure. Like, I do not want idiocracy. this world to turn into Wally. What's that? Idiocracy. Yeah. 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 Um, so, going back to the outdoor idea, uh, your grandparents are championship fly fishers. Ooh. Yeah, they are world record way. fly fishermen. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so, one thing that you have mentioned to me before, and something that I just kind of wanted to get kind of your your quick take on is your um, concept for an invention of a fly fishing reel. Yeah, so that was one fun thing that I've been able to do here at Portland State is in my first year here in the mechanical engineering sequence, uh, that spring term, we're able to do a project on whatever we want. And so for me, it seems like every project I do is fly fishing related. And so I said, hey, I want to do some fly fishing project. I don't know exactly what it's going to be yet, but I just want to do something outdoors related. And so um, three of my other buddies, we you know, formed a group and you know, we're pitching around ideas, you know, like what does the fly fishing world need? And so we came up with this automated drag system for a fly fishing rod. It is very bare bones. It was definitely a proof of concept kind of an idea. And it ended up working. I mean, obviously a final design would be way slicker, slimmer, you know, all that sort of stuff. But basically what we did is at, so the whole concept is, you know, you're fishing, you know, you're casting, you know, you're on your drift and then bam, you hook into a fish. So as you're fishing, normal fly fishing, you'll put your hand on the reel a little bit to give it some extra drag so the fish isn't uh, swimming out as far so you don't have to reel it in as much. And so what we did is we calibrated this sensor to a motor. And so if as the fish is moving out faster, it'll apply more pressure to the reel. And so we had this certain set of ranges that we calibrated this to. And it actually worked, you know, you could see the motor, you know, put a little bit of pressure and then as it would get faster, it would put more and more pressure to get to this optimal range where mm -hmm. it was tight enough to where the fish wasn't uh, moving super fast. Yeah, or, that's really interesting. But it was loose enough to where the fish just wouldn't snap off. Yeah. Because obviously you don't want that. Exactly. And so that was the main feature. We had a second feature where we had a laser center uh, sensor pointed at the line in the reel. So as your line is going out, your reel diameter shrinks and so uh, when it got to a certain distance it would beep and at that beep you know you have a certain amount of line left until you get into your backing so it just allows the fisherman to go oh crap you know i, I need to start reeling in yeah i mean obviously it's it's an obvious thing going oh i have a ton of line out there i should probably start reeling this fish in but it's just an added feature that we put into that yeah and that interestingly that is um like that could be something that could assist like older people who are going fly fishing that might have the same vision or whatever, or if they're experiencing blindness, like that laser technology could actually really help them. Yeah, definitely. No, it's, uh, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, you know, all of my projects for some reason have always en ended up around fly fishing. Uh, I did this freshman year, my junior year technically, uh, just third year here, I did another project based on it in another class and just kind of redefined the idea, slimmed it down, you know, just made it uh, more applicable through a mechanical design compared to an automated electronic design. And then this past 
uh, winter term for my uh, optimization uh, uh, class, I did a fish pond stocking optimization model. And so it was basically just every single time a person wants to just stock their pond for the first time, it would, and depending on the acreage of the land that they have and water, it would calculate how many fish you needed for it to sustain life for the so you don't have to keep on restocking the pond. And so with this idea, if I keep on adding to it, I could actually use it as a consulting business yeah. and run my own business out of this. I was actually gonna ask you about that. Um, so for you, do you see yourself having your engineering career and this fishing invention side business like kind of going alongside that? Or do you see yourself eventually taking this fishing thing full force? Because it kind of seems like it's along your passions and so I was wondering if you would somehow combine your degree with that to kind of fulfill that or if you would rather just take your career as an engineer and then kind of run this as like a side path to it. Yeah, I would definitely do the latter. I would definitely uh, be an engineer first, you know, get my footing within the engineering uh, field and then, you know, on the weekends or something, just kind of have it as a side hobby and you know maybe pitch it to Shark Tank one of these years. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's what I, I think of it is just, you know, obviously I'm gonna be working as an engineer and then with my master's degree, hopefully being a project manager within the next five to 10 years and just, you know, doing fun stuff on the weekends, you know, just constantly iterating on this idea and once I feel like it could come to market, you know, bring it to market. Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, you've been in this city long enough to get your master's. So while you've been in the city, I just have to ask you, what do you think is the best food location within the, the greater Portland area? So I'm going to go with the hometown favorite of the cheerful tortoise. It is. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, I mean, I'm, I know a lot of people listening are Portland State uh, affiliated people. And my, so my house, 2005, is one block away from Cheerful Tortoise. So when I first turned 21, I was there all the time, you know, oh man, I don't want to make dinner today. Oh, I'm just going to go to Cheerful and, you know, get a, a tortoise shell or something. And I go there so often, I have uh, punch cards from Cheerful. And every time I get a meal, they use my punch card. And after the 10th meal, the 11th is free. So I've used those quite a bit. But my favorite thing at Cheerful though is the wings, by far. Yeah. The Cheerful wings, best wings on the planet. Don't at me. They're they're, they're the best. So don't, don't they have like a? Isn't it like a the, honey lavender? Or? Oh no, you're talking about the huckleberry wings. Yeah. Well, they sadly got rid of the huckleberry wings. Really? Uh, oh, I'm, I'm mad about what they got rid of. The huh. portrait around Cheerful. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Um. Did they yeah. say why they like? Just painted over it black. It no, I have awesome. no, I have no idea why, but I thought it was an iconic piece of Portland State oh, yeah. uh, history, lore. Just like I mean, cheerful is PSU all the way, and so just to have, because I don't even know when that portrait was made, but either way, just having those iconic, iconic PSU, you know, portraits along cheerful, you know, of athletics. Because yeah. they also had some timber stuff plus yeah. blazers, like it's yeah. like cheerful is Portland, exactly. you know, and exactly. that's that's why I love it. 
feel like when they took that down, it was just my heart was just like, ah, yeah. Ah, like, it felt like a part of a part of the block was missing. Like, I exactly. Know. I mean, it had yeah, like you said, it had like the Blazers up there. It had you know one of our football guys. It had a you know soccer defenders on that. That was yeah. I missed that. I thought they were gonna paint over it. I thought that's what they were doing. Like they're yeah. gonna paint it black so they can paint like new ones. But yeah, no, it's just never happened. Now they just have funny signs. <laughs> <laughs> Their signs are yeah, signs are hilarious. Yeah, I think the cheerful Instagram page posts them every day. What, what the sign is? What's so, your favorite so far? Oh, my six what's your favorite? Your favorite signage that they put up. I, I couldn't tell you. I, I don't remember how they ended of them. Uh, the one the other day was pretty funny. Is <laughs> what it is said. It's like suck today's. Yeah. Um, but so if if cheerful is your number one food location, what would you say is your top three? If you had to give another two in there. So, Killer Burger is another amazing spot. I love Killer Burger, and then. Uh, a sentimental pick for me would be Hot Lips Pizza because after every single home game for football, that's where my family and I go for uh, our dinners, Hot Lips Pizza. And they have my all-time favorite pizza, the uh, potato bacon pizza. It is a seasonal option though, so that kind of sucks, but it's whatever. It's just pizza dough, no sauce, huh. it's just cheese with thinly sliced potatoes, crispy bacon, and then they lather it in a garlic butter, and it's just the best thing ever. What type of season is this? Is this like fall? <laughs> yeah, fall. Okay. But it's wow. not the entire football season though. It's like a early October through okay. uh, January, I think. Okay. So our cool. September home games, we're not able to uh, uh, go there at all. Hey, we're, I'm definitely going. I kind of got, I got some beef with Hot Lips because, oh, so I was on my third date with my girlfriend and we went to the movies and the nice. movie A Quiet Place was out Okay. and this movie is entirely silent the entire time. There's like, there's no dialogue in the entire film until the very end. So we eat the Hot Lips and we're on the way to the movie theater and all of a sudden I feel my stomach just start turning <laughs> and it, it, I like, I'm in excruciating pain before we get in the theater. And I'm like, screw it, I'll be fine. I'm gonna make it through this movie. <clears throat> so we're 30 minutes into the movie, and my stomach is making the most god-like <laughs> wrenching noises. <laughs> and then everybody's looking at me, and I feel so self-conscious. <laughs> and I'm just dying. Like I'm sweating. I feel like I'm gonna throw up. Like I'm like, alright, you know what? I gotta get up, I gotta go to the bathroom. So I go to the bathroom and I finally come back. And I've missed 20 minutes of like essential plot. I have no clue what's going on in this movie. So not only was the movie like, because I thought I'd be okay. Like I thought I could probably squeak a couple out because you know most movies are pretty noisy and like loud. And I'll wait for the bass drop, and, you know, let them go. But not in this one. In this one, you could have heard a pin drop in that theater because there's just nothing going on. And Hot Lips really just put me under the bus for that one. Jeez, that's not very vertical of you. Yeah, yeah, not very vertical. Uh, so. Speaking on the vertical diet, um, that is something that Garrett introduced me to originally. Um, so if you want to go ahead and explain that, because I think uh, I'm on it, Riley Shack, our producer, is on it, um, and then you've been on it probably the longest out of the three of us. So yeah, I've been on it for about a year and three months or so. 
I mean, obviously I haven't been like completely strict to it, but it yeah. is my baseline diet that I've been doing. So for me, the motivation to get on it, you know, I was, I just had my fourth knee surgery. I was definitely overweight, you know, just not feeling good at all. Wasn't in playing shape. Just wasn't in a good place athletically that I wanted to be. And, you know, I watch, uh, you know, powerlifting videos, strongman stuff, and this, uh, on all of my recommended feed stuff on YouTube, they just keep on popping up. Vertical diet, stand up eating, vertical diet, uh, you know, and then I'd watch Brian Shaw videos and he just, oh, I'm on this vertical diet. And so for me, it was during spring ball, I just kind of did a test run, you know, I'd, I didn't like buy the plan or anything. I just went off with all the YouTube videos and just said, eh, you know, I think I need about this much. And, you know, my, I had a great spring ball, you know, was starting, doing all that sort of stuff. And then just feeling good. He was like, you know what, if I'm gonna do this thing, I'm gonna do it right. I'm gonna, you know, stick to it. And I mean, at that point I had two years of college eligibility left. It's like, hey, I. College football is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I might as well do the things that I truly need to do to perform at my best. And I mean, it's not like I ate bad before. I just don't think it was great. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was working out, doing fine, had plenty of energy for the most part, but I just wasn't where I wanted to be athletically. So, got on the vertical diet, and that first spring, or first six weeks right after uh, spring football, you know, all my numbers in the weight room went up. You know, my body composition was way better. I dropped, you know, 10, 15 pounds, was just feeling like a hundred bucks. So yeah, I'm a big proponent of it. I, have, I mean, it's boring, but at the end of the day, as an athlete, you kind of have to think about food as fuel mm -hmm. and not every meal has to be an enjoyable experience where it's, oh, I'm eating this amazing, whatever, five-star meal, you know? Like, the basis of the vertical diet is uh, ground beef and rice. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty pretty bland meal, but it gives you calories, it gives you protein, it gives you carbs, it gives you all the things you need to perform as an athlete. So, yeah, the vertical diet, I think, is a big reason why I was able to stay healthy this past football season and, you know, do as well as I did. Yeah, I know for myself, personally, I... Um, enjoy beef over chicken. I think um, red meat has more flavor and it's been easier for me to stick to that than to try and um, do other like weightlifter, powerlifter diets. And I've, I've really enjoyed it and I think it has produced some pretty good results. I feel healthier. Um, like I don't feel like you eat a meal and you're hungry again in 30 minutes. Um, which sounds bad but for the amount of food that we have to consume to try and hit our daily calorie goals it's hard to eat a giant meal and then be full for three hours and then try and have to eat again yeah I mean exactly you know before when I would eat and I would meal prep you know do whatever I'd have spaghetti eat spaghetti throughout the week it's not a bad meal I mean everyone eats spaghetti it's pretty good but like you said you're just stuffed after eating all those noodles all those carbs and you just can't eat hardly anything for the next three hours and you're like oh well i gotta do this all over again and you just feel awful compared to just eating you know ground beef rice you know you eat a good portion 
and you're sitting there going, oh, I'm actually like kind of hungry. You know, I'm satisfied. I'm not stuffed, but you know, feeling pretty good. Yeah. Um, so as we are kind of heading towards the end of our podcast here, I want to go ahead and ask you a question that me and Tyson discussed last uh, last episode, but we want to start kind of this a regular thing for our guests. So do you have a really good um, crazy homeless person experience? story from Portland or a crazy ghost story that you want to share and let people know uh, what's going on. Yeah, so living at the spot that I've been at for the past three years, I mean, most people know where it's at and, you know, has the lay of the land. So two crazy homeless uh, people stories. I mean, one's pretty mild, but the, uh, the first one is we had we used to have a just a wooden gate so anyone was able to go into our trash and so a homeless person one day decided to just dump all of our trash all over that uh alleyway that we have and so me and my roommates we had to sit there and pick up all of the trash it took us 30 minutes and it was just completely disgusting i mean it's open garbage just awful the Second one is last summer, uh, my roommates, they're hanging out, whatever, and uh, Taylor, she goes to work or something, opens the door, and there's just this homeless dude completely passed out on our stairs, and she's just like, what the heck, you know, <laughs> like just stunned. And so she shuts the door, just like, guys, like, this is just a dude passed out on our stairs right now, what, what should I do? Like, just like wake him up and tell him to leave. So we, she opens it, just like taps him, and just like, hey guy, you need to like leave. And he's just non, not responsive at all. And so finally after 10, 15 minutes, call the cops. Cops show up, you know, they do the whole sternum rub, you know, make sure uh, he's chill and not, you know, on drugs. Well, I mean, obviously he was on drugs, but. Yeah. <laughs> He wasn't just gonna freak out on them, and so finally they they get him up, wake him up, and he's just in there, bro. Like, what are you doing? Like, dude, you're on our stairs. Like, you have to leave our property. And the cops are there, and he's like, but I'm taking a nap. Like, what do you mean I, I gotta go? Why'd you gotta call the cops on me? Like, you weren't responsive. <laughs> like, you weren't moving. So I mean, so that's that's the story for the most part. Not anything crazy, but yeah. just to open your door and just a dude is completely passed out on your stairs, drugged out, is, is something. Yeah. Um, so, do you want to go ahead and go to um, Q&A, producer, Shackleford? I would love to. All right, so the first question is, what is the maximum amount of homies that you will dap up when leaving a party? <laughs> well, I guess in my personal case, None because the party's at my house. So if anything, people dap me up before they leave. <laughs> Big party guy, eh? Yeah, already yeah, 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 yeah. 2005, baby. <laughs> so. I would say to that question, um, it depends on what the party is, you know? Like, it, I mean, if it's just, like, if it's huge or if it's just, like, if I know maybe 20 people in there, yeah, I'm going to give everybody handshakes. Like, that's, that's my dog. Like, you know, we give everybody handshakes. But if it's, 
if it's just overly crowded, uh, it's a no-go for me, boss. Yeah, I was saying for me, it's just like, if you're close to the door, you're getting on the way out. If not, I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, no. All right, here's another one. You've had a couple knee surgeries, right? Yeah. Would you rather ride a hoverboard for the rest of your life or be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life? See, I do not trust myself on anything that has wheels, you know, or I don't trust myself on any kind of equipment. I don't ski, I don't snowboard, hoverboard, there's no way. Scooters, skateboards, none of that. So I'm for sure taking the wheelchair. Have, see, I was in a wheelchair for about, I don't know, two months. The worst time of my life. What, what was the question again? A wheelchair or a hoverboard for the rest of your life? I mean, I'm going hoverboard person. The hoverboard thing is harder to explain socially though. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you're like, you're like rolling you into a job interview and the guy's like, so, uh, like, are you gonna get off that or? I mean, you are standing the entire time too. Yeah. That's another thing. I like sitting down. Yeah. That's just me. Uh, yeah, wait, does it depend? Like, is someone pushing you around in this wheelchair? No, you're, you are oh. move, manually moving yourself. But like, yeah, you're an independent oh, man. You're, you're rolling that thing. But like, that's tough. a lot more socially acceptable to like go into any situation with than like, let's say you're going to your good friend's funeral and you're just. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. All right. Would you rather give up bathing for one month or give up your phone for six months? Oh, I'm giving up my phone. That's um, that's an easy one. Me, I just go live outdoors for six months. I'd go camping for six months. Yeah, I, I don't need my phone. Quick. Yeah, I think um, for my phone, like I used to do mission trips in Mexico, and they would force you to give up your phone when you got there. That's safe. Well, it's so that like the the people in charge would have a phone, but. Um, because of like data planes and stuff, they would take your phone from you so that way you wouldn't get charged extra. Uh, and so, for the first day, you always freak out. You're like, where's my phone at? But then after that first day, it's actually really nice not to be stuck to a phone and have responsibilities constantly coming up. It is. I mean, you remember the offensive line, you know, uh, camping trip where you had. It was, you know, a fun couple of days without our phone. Mm -hmm. I, I think I could do it. I think I could do it. Push those couple days into six months. Oh, uh, I, can, I can do it as long as I'm having fun. Like yeah. if, I'm, yeah. if I'm having fun, uh, there's no need for my phone. As long as you can be clean, you know. All right. Would you rather be bald for the rest of your life or just have terrible haircuts? Mm. For the rest of well, your life? I mean, what's, what's up, Brady? We know Brady. We know Brady. I'm going with bald. You said I, terrible haircuts. Yeah. So like, I'd be bald. Fades messed up. Whatever. I'm bald. Yeah, bald for sure. I mean. Bald in and of itself is a good haircut, somewhat. Yeah. It's, a, it's a style. I mean, it's a style. Brady. Brady's rocking it with the Brady's beard. A nice beard. But yeah. you're just gonna walk up at any time of the day and just have one giant uh, chunk missing out of your head. Yeah, there's Perhaps. no way. All right, no fingers or no elbows. So when you say no elbows, yes. can I still bend my arms? Yeah. No. No. Uh, so it's no, just no. So the only mobility you have is within your shoulder, shoulder. and yeah. your wrist, and your wrist. Shoulder, wrist, and fingers. No elbows. Or no fingers. Shoulder, elbows, wrist, no fingers. I would have to go no elbow. Yeah, I think. I think. I mean, if you think about it, fingers are what caused humans to take over the earth. Like the ability for us to grab <laughs> and use tools 
is what are main advantages of the species. So I think I'm going to have to stick with my fingers over my elbows. Yeah, same here. All right, and in the same category, one nipple or two belly buttons? I think it would be pretty cool to have two belly buttons. Because... <laughs> I mean, who, who else has two belly buttons? Can the one nipple be in the center of my chest? No. Oh, jeez. Because if I could do that, I would do one nipple. I would say uh, just the Iron Man. <laughs> Honestly. But then if you say you have two belly buttons, does that mean, like, yay, two, two I know or course. something? But, okay, but, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're thinking this a little too deep. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm just saying, like, you take your shirt okay. off at a party, which one would you rather be, have people see? Both my belly buttons. I mean, so you want to awesome. have two belly buttons? I would love to have two. Belly buttons. I think I'd rather have one nipple because I feel like that's less weird. <laughs> I agree. I, think I, I still would like the nipple in the center of my chest, but that's just me. I'm going one nipple and tatting the other one on. Tatting the other one on. Ooh. That's a good call. Wow, I did not think about that. Man, I'm thinking outside the box there, Shaq. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I like that. So, um, I think that's going to do it for our podcast today. Uh, Garrett, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tyson and Brady. Yeah, it was awesome. I'm super glad and everybody on. Thank you to our producer, Shaq, for running this again for us. Yeah, Uh, always being there for us. Shout out Shaq. He is the one one and only only creator of... uh, me and Brady's face to this podcast. You know? Yeah, the, the logo and the header was all done by Shaq, so we're super thankful for him that, getting that taken care of for us. Um, so please give us a follow on Twitter uh, at BNT Power Hour. Um, we have an email now that we would love you guys to email in questions for us. It's also bntpowerhour at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to answer those in the next podcast with the next guest. And we also will have the podcast linked into the Twitter. So if you guys don't, you guys don't need to go straight to the SoundCloud. If you follow us on Twitter, you can just go straight there, click on the podcast, start listening to it. You know, give the podcast a like. You know, tell people about it. We're excited to get another one started. Yeah, uh, we're also on YouTube now. We just started the channel yesterday, so if you can't listen on SoundCloud, there's another venue for you to hear it on. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Please share it with your friends. Tell people to listen to us. and uh, Like and subscribe. Yeah, thank you guys. See you next time. Power hour, 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 power hour,